Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 25 this morning. Matthew 25, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to make sure you have the Word of God in your lap this morning. So raise your hand high. We've got some ushers that will send you, a, give you a Bible. They won't throw it to you, but they will hand it to you. You have the Bible in your hand. If you're a guest with us again, we want to welcome you. We're so thankful you're here this morning to worship with us. Also, we want to invite, uh, just thank those who are joining us online. I know I saw Greg Lake. Hey, Greg, how are you? Glad, glad to see you're on to this morning, Lord. And uh, also, and all the rest of those who couldn't make it this morning, join us on our live stream and those who, who join us on our podcast. If you're not familiar with our podcast, you can pick them up on iTunes, Calvary Chapel of Columbia, Calvary Chapel of Columbia, you can subscribe to that. And you can get every week's sermon will, will pop up in your iTunes. If you Google Play, same thing. Uh, um, if you know what SoundCloud is, uh, you can also look there. Calvary Chapel of Columbia. And uh, you can check it out there. Or go to our YouTube page. Again, what is it? Calvary Chapel of Columbia. Hello. You, you know, they say repetitiveness is important. Because people, for, it's amazing that we repeat things multiple times. But somehow people don't hear it. So I'm not sure. But. Uh, anyway, so there you have it. We are in a study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. We've been doing this for quite some time. We're three years into this study, almost to the cross. Jesus is a couple days away from the cross at this point in time where we are now in the Olivet Discourse. And um, we went through chapter 24 uh, the last couple weeks, so you can check that out if you missed it. By the way, if you weren't here last week, you definitely want to go back to our YouTube page or something and, and listen to Joe Collins' message. Um, it, it is so good. I mean, it's so simple. It makes it so easy to be able. It, it was on creation versus uh, evolution, and it was just such a very simple uh, presentation of how to defend your faith. And uh, I, I know I was encouraged, and I learned quite a bit from that. So, you know, if you missed that, you want to check that out. If you don't know where that is, I will help you find that. So you can check with me afterwards. But um, Matthew 24, if you haven't listened to that, you want to pick that up. We, are, we were talking pre-tribulation in Matthew 24 and mid-tribulation. We talked about the, uh, from the point in which, you know, these birth pangs will come and, and the, the Braxton-Hicks contraction. Remember that? Yeah. You know, the, 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 the pre-contractions. And then as the tribulation period started up until the midpoint in tribulation, when the uh, abomination of desolation comes... We, we got through that. That is Matthew 24. I'm a personal believer that Matthew 24 and 25 are chronological. That as you enter into Matthew 25, that Jesus now begins to speak about the time in which he comes at the end of the tribulation period on into the millennial kingdom. And I believe that that's what we're looking at in Matthew chapter 25. Now, some people don't see it that way. That's okay. They, they're wrong. But anyway, no, they're not. But um, it's okay if you don't see it chronologically. It's okay because guess what? We'll find out one day. We'll sit before the Lord and he'll tell us. So it really doesn't matter. But what's really important is we don't miss the truths that are captivated, uh, contained in these scriptures. They're so important, particularly even though Jesus is speaking directly to Israel and he's talking about the nation of Israel and he's talking about what they can expect. He's talking to four Jewish men as a Jewish rabbi. Um, but it applies to us today. 
And it will all, all of God's word applies to us in some shape or form. Even, uh, you know, some of those things that were spoken solely to Israel, we can apply them in, in different ways to our lives. The word of God always is applicable to us. It always will apply to our life. But remember, there is only one interpretation. When Jesus speaks directly to somebody, it's for them. We might be able to, you know, get some, some principle or some characteristic from that to apply to our life, but he's speaking specifically to them. And so this morning we find ourselves at the end of the tribulation period into the millennial reign, and Jesus will use three different parables. Now, a parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's really simply put. In the, in the Greek, it's parabole. Para meaning alongside, uh, bola to cast or to throw. Jesus is casting or throwing some earthly story alongside of a heavenly principle so that we can understand, so that we can grasp what he's saying. And he used, he illustrated, and he was the greatest illustrator, and he used nature and everything around him to sort of paint a picture of what heavenly principles look like or what the kingdom of God will be like. And that's what we find in Matthew 24. Jesus is describing for us some kingdom principles uh, that he wants us to apply to our lives. Now, here's the thing about a parable, though. You, if you try and spiritualize every detail of the parable, you will miss the entire point of the parable, number one, and you'll make a mess of the parable. You don't want to do that. You don't want to um, take a parable and dissect it and, uh, and, and sort of interpret every little detail as being some spiritual truth. Jesus uses big picture concepts to bring big picture principles to mind. And so what we're not going to do is apply every single detail of these parables, you know, um, trying relating them to, well, this is Israel and this is that or whatever. What we're going to do is really keep ourselves contained in the meaning of what he's, what is he trying to get to? What is the main theme of the, of the principle? And then we're going to apply that to our life. That's how we're going to approach these. Um, so stand with me if you, if you would, please. There are three parables again. We're going to look at this morning the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and the parable of the sheep and the goats. And we begin this morning with the parable of the ten virgins, Matthew chapter 25. Beginning in verse 1, we read, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept, but at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they are going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and at the door was shut, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And, Father, we thank you for your word and even a couple of those little words I inserted. We pray, Father, this morning that you would glorify yourself, that you would draw us close to you, Lord. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to 
apply these truths to our lives, that we wouldn't miss what you want to say to us today. Lord, we need to be ready. You're coming. We are your bride. May we be ready for you. Lord, speak to our hearts. We just give you all authority in, this, in our hearts this morning to do your work. We open ourselves up and we invite you in. We ask you to just uh, make these truths plain to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. The, the commentator, William Barclay, uh, recalls a fable about three demons who were sent by their leader, Satan, to destroy the human race. How are you going to do this, Satan asked them. The first said, I will tell them that there is no God. Satan responded, you will, fool, you will not fool many. They know God exists. The second said, I will tell them that there is no hell. Satan answered, they won't believe you. The third demon said, I will tell them there's no hurry. Ah, that's good, Satan replied. You will ruin thousands. I would say more like millions. You will ruin millions. What a deceptive thought to think that there is no hurry, to think that we have all the time in the world, to think that no matter what age you might be here today, that you have more time to spend, you know, doing whatever it is you're doing outside of the will of God or, or to, to not really just, you know, maybe you're just going through the motions and you're not really bringing the gospel to the world because you have more time. You don't have more time. Yet the enemy would deceive you into thinking that there is no hurry. Trust me, I know. It's what I said as a young 20-some-year-old person that didn't know Jesus. I told myself, oh, I'll come to know Christ later. I'll do it later. I'll get right with God later. Right now, I want to have fun. I want to do all this stuff. Do you know that that um, later doesn't come for many people. Not necessarily because they die young or because they die early, but oftentimes because they never get to it. Because in the spiritual realm, we are incredible procrastinators. We have this innate ability to just procrastinate spiritual things. And yet Jesus would tell us over and over and over again, be ready. Watch, therefore. It's a warning to us. And he said that last time. As we left Matthew chapter 24, those were, the, those were the things that he was saying. Now, he said all of this together. And so when you read Matthew 24 and 25, you should just read it all together in, in the same flow because in, you'll see here in verse, 20, in verse 44 of Matthew 24, he said, therefore, you must you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He is coming at an hour you do not expect, but there's no hurry. We have all the time in the world. I'll get to it later. I'll serve the Lord later. I'll fulfill my ministry later. I'll put my hands and feet to the, to the plow or whatever it is later. No, you won't. Today is what you're guaranteed. This moment right now, don't waste it. Don't waste it. Jesus is so emphatic about this. He, he continues to, to illustrate this through this parable of the ten virgins here. He, he, he's speaking about a Jewish wedding. And he talks about 
ten virgins, five that are wise and five that are unwise. And there was a bride and there was a bridegroom. And this, this, back in this day, in this culture, there were three stages to a wedding. There was the engagement, which happened early on as children, as kids, the, the, the bride and the groom were just children. The, the fathers would prearrange this marriage, and so they would have a contract with each other that say, I, I, I am uh, engaging my son to your daughter, and that was legally binding. And at some point in time when they were maybe 12 to 14 years old, there was what was called the betrothal period. And the betrothal period was, was they took their vows before each other. There was a ceremony. There was a legal binding marriage that happened. But for one year, approximately a year, it was, it was an unexpected time. But the groom would go away, and he would go to prepare a place for his bride He would go set up his shop, whatever he was going to do for a living. He would prepare his house for his bride to come. What's interesting also is that while the groom would leave, he would drink. He would not drink of the fruit of the vine, which is interesting. Because to drink wine in this culture would, to be speaking of joy and celebration, and the groom would not be joyful or celebrated until his bride was with him. Now, what an incredible picture that is of this very moments that we as the church, his bride, Jesus' bride, are waiting for our bridegroom, Jesus. And he said the very same words in Matthew 26, verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus, uh, of a marriage. And there is a marriage ceremony coming there was a there was a celebration coming that is the the third part when the bridegroom would come back and he would send a messenger beforehand and they that messenger would herald through the streets behold the bridegroom is coming he's coming be ready and everybody would be expected to be ready the bride would be expected to be ready the bridesmaids which is the 10 virgins here would be expected to be ready everyone would be expected to be ready now ladies that would be a little unnerving, wouldn't it? Your hair would have to be done. Your makeup would have to be done up. You'd have to be ready, and you would not know when he was coming. And oftentimes, they still do this in Israel, by the way. They still do this kind of thing. How fun is that? We should do that here. No, we shouldn't. I like, I like, to, I like to know what's happening, and I like, you know, we got to schedule things, right? We're so busy. But here's the thing. Back in this day, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't have any idea, but it was kind of the excitement, the anticipation of waiting. But you had to be ready. Everybody had to be ready. The bride would be in the father's house waiting for the bridegroom. The bridesmaids waiting there with her. And then the marriage supper would come. And the bride and the groom would finally come together and they would not separate after that. They would be joined together consummating the marriage and they would be one. That day is coming, friends. When Jesus Christ comes back, we will no longer be separated to him as we are today. We're in the betrothal period as a church, as his bride. We're waiting for him to come back. We all have lamps. Some of us are ready and some of us are not. That's the illustration of the parable. There are five wise ones and there are five foolish. Uh, The wise, they they all have lamps, by the way. And they're all trimming their lamps when the bridegroom comes. We read that. 
So they all acted like they were ready, but the reality is because we didn't know the hour of the day in which the bridegroom would come, the wise ones brought extra oil. They were prepared for the long haul. And yet there are some that were not prepared at all. And they wanted what the wise ones had, and they said, no, you have to go get your own. And what ended up happening was they missed it. They missed it. And that is the very point in which Jesus is trying to make here. There are those that will miss it because they weren't watchful. They weren't ready. They weren't paying attention. They didn't have the oil. They didn't have the oil. The oil, again, I'm not going to spiritualize all of this, but the oil represents, whether or not Jesus intended it to here, the oil often represents in the Bible the Holy Spirit. And we know the Word of God tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, be anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If you don't have the Spirit in you, if you don't have the oil this morning, you are not ready for Him to come. Because when He comes, He will receive those in that have the oil. The seal, Ephesians chapter 1 talks about, the seal of guarantee that we are His and He is ours. And when He comes, we will receive, uh, He will receive us into Him and we will no longer be separated. But for those who... Maybe dress the part. They have a lamp. Maybe modern day terminology. They have a Bible. They come to church. They say the right things. And yet there's no oil in their lamp. Jesus would say to that one, you're not ready. You're not ready. And even some Christians today, I would say many Christians have been lulled asleep And they have all the essential needs for, and they're not ready for Jesus to come back. Now understand, he's not going to cast you out because you weren't ready. That would be to spiritualize this too much. But what he is pleading with you, if you're a person that has the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you're not living the way that you ought to live, if you're not out there sharing the gospel with people, making disciples which is a call for every one of us, and you're distracted in this life with all these other things, the Lord would tell you today to wake up because time is short. Oh, but they've been saying that for years, haven't they? Yeah, they have. And guess what? One day, Jesus is going to crack the sky with his voice, and he's going to come, and I want to be ready. And I hope you want to be ready. Here's the deal. There are people in Florida right now that have boarded up their houses, that have done all these things and, you know, in Miami and on the whole eastern side of the... And they say, oh man, we, we wasted all this time. We were prepared and yet it didn't come. What if it did come then? And they were prepared. You know, it's not a waste to be prepared. You know, at the end of the day, if you're prepared then you know what? When you stand before the Lord, He will say, thank you for being faithful and for being ready at all times. That's what He's looking for from us today. Not that we, we would, we very well could be the generation that sees Jesus come back. I believe if we're not, we're on the verge. We're very close to being the generation that will see the coming of Christ. But at the end of the day, when you see Jesus face to face, He's not going to say, man, you wasted a lot of time being ready. I wish you would have not been so ready. I wish you had not prepared so much for my coming. But I wonder if he will say, I wish you had been more ready 
I wish you had prepared more. I wish you would have been ready at all times for me to come. But you got caught up in the world and you got sucked into this machine that spun you around and spit you back out. And here you are, and I'm glad you're here. But man, I don't have much for you because you didn't do much. And we'll get to that in a minute. Listen, if you don't have the eternal oil, the Holy Spirit inside you this morning, or if you're lacking today, the Lord tells us all we need to do is simply ask Him. We can come to Him by faith, believing that if our Father, who is a good Father, He's the greatest Father in the world, if if we come to Him and ask that He will be faithful to give us the Holy Spirit, If you're lacking this morning, if you don't know Christ, maybe you aren't living the way that you ought to and you you need to be rejuvenated. You need the Holy Spirit. You need a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need um, something like that. Then you just need to come and ask him this morning. He'll give it to you. He promises it. Why would Jesus say that in Luke 11, 13? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You got to ask this morning if that's you. You need to ask Him, Lord, fill me with Your Spirit. Fill me with Your Spirit, God, today so that I can be ready. You cannot be ready for His coming if you are not filled with the Spirit. And if you're, uh, you know, a Christian that has been messing around and, you know, the Spirit is grieved inside of you, you need to come to the Lord today and you need to repent and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin and ask Him to refresh you with His Holy Spirit, and He will do that this morning. You need to ask Him. He will give all that you need so that you can be ready for the bridegroom to come. Not only is Jesus saying that we should be wise and therefore ready for His return, but we also must be faithful. Look at verse 14. So we move into the next parable here, the parable of the talents. For it, speaking of the kingdom of heaven here, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two, more t- two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it into the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, 
you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to, the, to him who has the ten talents. For to him, for to everyone who has, will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus turns to this parable of the talents. A talent here specifically is speaking. Remember, there's one interpretation. He is speaking specifically about a monetary unit, and it's a weight. It's a weight used to measure some metal that would, you know, and the value would depend upon the type of metal that was measured. So a talent of silver, for instance, for example, would be approximately 6,000 denarii. A denarii is one day's wages in that culture. So this would be, you know, one talent, just one, would be 6,000 days wages. We're not talking about a little bit of money here. Uh, you know, if he were talking about gold here, the, the value of that would be 30 times that of silver back in this culture. So it would be, uh, you know, one talent would be 180,000 um, denarii of gold. 180,000 days wages. This is a large sum of money that's been invested in these things. But don't misunderstand. The point is not in the value of the talent. It's in what the servant does with the talent that he's given. Not how much he's given, but in what he does with what he has been given. Now, here's the interesting thing. That word servant in there, you could circle that you could, in your Bible and you could write out to the side or right above it, you could say slave. Now, we in this culture do not like that word. We don't like to use the word slave because we don't like to uh, consider ourselves less. And so we would say, oh, let's not, let's not say that. That's offensive. Let's take that word out. But that is the literal translation of the word used here, slave. And so... I'm not one to cower to culture, so I will call us slaves in this passage here because what we have to understand is the master entrusted that which he did to his slave, to a person who has no freedom, to somebody who has been bound and has authority over them to do exactly what they are commanded to do, and if they don't, it would cost them their life. That is the weight of the context here. But if we dole it down, if we water that word down, then we can just be like, oh, it's just a servant. You know, it's kind of like an employee. You know, they, they, they come and go and they can do what they want. No, that's not, the, that's not what he's describing here. He's describing somebody that is under the authority of a master where their life is in the balance to do what it, they're called to do, to be obedient to the command. That is the context of what is happening here. What I want you to understand is that to one, five talents was given. To one, two. Uh, to the other, one. Now, here, this is very important, was given according to their ability. You like that? Jesus doesn't give you more than you can handle. Oh, we like that when it's a bad thing. But we're like, oh, bring on the money, Jesus. You know, just bring it on. I want cash falling out of my pockets. I want to walk down the streets and be able to get whatever I want. No, you can't handle that. And so he gives you according to to your ability. 
And when you're faithful with what he's given you, then what did this just say? He'll be faithful to give you more. We are not self-made people. We are entrusted people with certain things that God has given us. And it's to our ability. And so we, we, we now listen, by the Holy Spirit, your ability is great. Do you know that? Like your ability is so beyond what you think you're able to do. I mean, you are able to do the things Christ did. He said even greater things, right? So your ability is not in your own power. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what that means is God might entrust you with things that you don't think you're able to do or things that you're, not, you're, oh man, I don't know, this is too much, Lord. God will give you what you're able to deal with. And he will, he will help you, he will instruct you, he will guide you on how to use those things. Uh, this, these slaves, what, the, the whole point of it is these slaves were set up to succeed. You are set up to succeed in life. Do you know that? The Bible tells us that we have all that we need for life and godliness. So here's the thing is everything at this point in time, if, if, you're, if you're not living to that level, then it's on you. Because God has done everything that he needs to do. You have everything that you need for life and godliness. So, so if you're not experiencing that in your life this morning, then it's the choices you're making. They're choices. And you're making them. And the Lord says, I've entrusted you with much. What will you do with it? These slaves are not partnered with their master. Don't make that mistake. You're not partnered with God. You're a slave. You're a servant. You are called to do what he commands you to do. Therefore, when he tells you to wear shorts on Sunday morning, you don't set your pants out with, with a belt and, and leave them on the counter like you were going to be disobedient to the Lord like I did. Listen, you're, you, we need to be obedient to the Lord. We need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit as he leads and guides us because he will lead us into those places. If you are trusting in yourself, you will walk into areas that you are not able to deal with. Do you know that? Now, thankfully, we serve a merciful and gracious God, and he will help us in our time of need, and he will rescue us because he's a rescuer. He will redeem us, and I'm thankful for that, and that's why we live in the age of grace where the Lord continually just dispenses unmerited favor upon us. But the reality is, what Jesus is saying here is there is an entrustment to you. There is a talent that he's given you. Now, we can apply this in a lot of different ways, but understand what he's talking about is money here. But the application is multifaceted. We can talk about, you know, we can talk about our the gospel as being a talent that God has entrusted you. It's the most valuable asset that you have, Christian. The gospel of peace. The good news. The, thing, the words that can change a person's life in an instant when you just tell them that Jesus Christ came and died for you and he rose again from the dead for you. And by faith, you just simply put your trust in his work upon the cross Trusting that in his blood that was shed for you and he will forgive your sins and he will send his spirit inside of you. That is the most valuable asset that you have and yet it's being buried by so many. It's not being shared with, you know, I, I gave you the statistics not too long ago. Like, I don't know what is 70 to 80% of Christians maybe share their faith once a year. 
once a year, I have to confess to you that I am making a declaration to the Lord that I'm going to share my faith more. How much more? I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) No, listen. I, I will illustrate this in a second, but why don't you? Are you like the one, the one that was given the one talent that was afraid to do anything with the talent that he gave you? I'm afraid to tell somebody about Jesus. Man, why would you be afraid? He, 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 where, he, the, God, the, the disciples told Jesus, where else can we go, Jesus? Where else can we go? You have the words of life. He has the words of life. Why would we be afraid to share the gospel, the words of life with people that are lifeless, that are lost, that are bankrupt, that needs, need something? They need Jesus. Why would we be ashamed to share the gospel with people that are going to hell? Do we really believe that? The Bible says so. Lord, help us to be faithful with the gospel. Not only that, but maybe it's the monetary, you know, God in, is invested in you so that you can invest in his ministries across the, this world, you know. And, and so he's invested in you monetarily, and he said, I want you to go take this and, and use it for my glory. And yet you spend it on yourself. Or, or maybe it's your time and your talent, and you're saying, Lord, you know, I, I look at all this. Look at what I have, all these abilities, and I have this capacity to serve and all this kind of stuff, and yet you're doing everything else but serving God. Everything else. Like, like God should be the, the primary thing that we focus on, and yet he's a sliver. He gets like, like 0.1% of our time, 0.1% of our talents, and we're spent by the time we get home from work. And listen, I get it. I've been there. I've done that. I understand that. It's hard. But understand that no matter where you are, you're in ministry. So you can be, you're a dual agent. Don't tell your boss. But you know what? When you're at work, you're also a minister of the gospel. Because we're all called the ministry. You are the clergy that have been sent into the world, no matter where you go, to share your faith with people. So do it according to the Spirit, man. Just be led by the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead. Be faithful with what He's given you. He placed you right where you are in life today. He placed you there, not me, not Cindy, not Dan, not the bearded guy that I forget his name all the time, Mike, but he he placed you where you are. Are you going to be faithful with it or not? Be faithful. We find here that the one with five, he came and he, he said, Lord, look what I've done. I took your five and I made five more. Here, he understood it's all yours. Here you go. And the Lord was like, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you want to hear that from the Lord? Well done, good and faithful servant. You did what you were supposed to do. And the Lord is congratulating you. He's honoring you. You simply did what he asked you to do. And yet, when you are humble, you will be exalted. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter enter into your master's joy, he says. The master's joy to be with you. That's the master's joy. It was for the joy that was set before who? Jesus. That he endured the cross, that he despised the shame, and that he sits at the right hand of the Father. 
you're his joy. And he, and he wants you to enter into the master's joy. He wants to be with you. He wants to be you to be in his presence. You've got to be faithful. He said the same to the one that brought the two. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little. And I will give you much. Now the focus isn't on the reward. And yet there is a reward. There's a reward. And one day you will stand before the Lord in what's called a Bema Seat Judgment, and there will be a reward for what you've done with what He's entrusted you. And He will give you some crown, some jewel, something. And the awesome thing about it is we will all cast them at His feet. We'll say, here you go, Lord. These are all yours. You did it all. We simply obeyed your commands as your slaves. But to the one... To the one, the Lord, the Lord calls him a wicked and slothful servant. Wicked and slothful servant. Now understand, this person is not redeemed. They're not saved. They acted like they were saved, but they're not saved. They're, they're a slave, but they're not his slave. They're a slave to themselves. They do what they want. They're, they're afraid. They're bound. There's no freedom in this person. They're lazy. They're slow to act. God has entrusted the gospel to them, and they bury it. They don't respond to it. They, they bury it, and they'll return it back to him one day. They'll say, here's your gospel. Now, can I enter into the master's joy? And he'll say, no, depart from me. I never knew you. Well, what do you mean? You never knew me. I entrusted you with the good news, with the gospel, with this talent and you buried it because you were afraid. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What are you giving up to come to Christ? It's an upgrade, promise you. It's an upgrade to come to Christ. I, I said to myself, you know, when I was younger, I, oh, I don't want I want to have fun. Oh, yeah, that's really fun, living outside of Christ. Trust me, it's so much more of an adventure to live in Christ, to be clothed in Christ, and then to know that you have no idea what he's going to do. Like, you're going to walk down a street and he's going to tell you to do something. You're like, are you serious? Like, I don't want to do that, Lord. Come on. I want, but, but it's awesome because when you get to be his minister and you're like in the pocket between God and man and you're standing there and the Lord's using you as a, as a vessel to speak to people, there is nothing like that on the earth. I don't care what job you have, what kind of sport you play, what kind of thing gives you adrenaline or anything. There is nothing like seeing somebody fall down before the Lord and commit their life to Christ. There's nothing like that in all the world because you understand that that thing right there was eternal. What just happened there affected that person for all of eternity. There's nothing like that in all the world, but you have to respond to it first. You have to respond to it in your own heart. You have to let the gospel take root in your heart you have to be clothed in Christ yourself. He tells this person, that this, this one that buried the talent, that, that he will be cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is symbolic of death, folks. This is, this is talking about an unconscious, eternal damnation. Now, this isn't 
I mean, again, I believe that this is speaking millennial here. And so this is not, I don't believe he's talking about the great white throne judgment here where he's talking about hell. I think this is talking about Sheol and Hades. That's the same word, two different Hebrew and Greek. But it all means this one place where, where, you, live, where you go to reside after you die if you're not in Christ. If you're clothed in Christ because Jesus has risen from the dead and he led captivity captive, you go to be with the Lord. But prior to Jesus coming, those who died went to, a, went to this same place, but there was a compartment there called paradise or Abraham's bosom. And that place was where all of the people prior to Christ's death and resurrection went who were looking forward to the coming of Christ, who were, who were trying to live their life according to the Lord. You know, they were under the law back then, but they were looking to Christ. And they went to that place, but there was a t- place of torment. You can see, you see it illustrated in the, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which is a real thing, I believe. Jesus illustrating Abraham's bosom, a place of paradise, and this place of torment that the rich man went. And he was crying out to Abraham on the other side who was in being basked in, glo- you know, uh, uh, not permanent glory, but what's the other word for permanent? Help me out here. Brain checked out. Temporary, thank you. So um, it's a temporary place of of paradise until Christ came. And then he took those people to heaven with him and to be with him. But, you know, the heaven that they inhabit still isn't the place that will be heaven for us because there will be a new Jerusalem that will come down after the millennial kingdom. And that is where we will reside with Christ. The Revelation tells us in chapter, I think it's 21, when the new Jerusalem comes down, that God is coming down to reside with man and we will reside with him. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that day. But, but this, I believe, I said all that to say, believe this is speaking about Hades and Sheol here, this holding place for the wicked until Jesus judges the world of the great wine throne judgment. Here's the point. Be faithful. Be faithful with what you've been entrusted be faithful, and as Jesus says, enter into the joy of your master, I believe that he's talking about being entering into the millennial kingdom here. It's the joy of the master. Those who have survived the tribulation period who believe in Jesus Christ, at that point in time will stand before the Lord, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Those who have been entrusted with what they had in that time period, they risked their life to bring the gospel to people And Jesus will say, enter into your master's joy, which will be the millennial kingdom uh, where he will rule and reign with an iron scepter and he will sit on a physical throne in Jerusalem in this present day earth until the very last battle uh, after 1,000 years and then he will create a new heavens and a new earth. Amen. It's going to be awesome. But we as the church will be with him when he comes back at this point in time. We'll see this. So we literally are like, be, we'll be in the stadium watching Jesus play out all of this. It'd be awesome. The point of it is that we can apply this to our lives today to be faithful to what God has given us. Don't squander the talent, whatever it is that he's given you. If you've been blessed financially, don't squander it on yourself. Give to the Lord and freely give. You know, be led by the Spirit. When, you know, with your time and your talents, give to the Lord freely and just say, Lord, I want to be a vessel and I'm willing to sacrifice today for paradise, for, for, for eternity to be your vessel. And so show me how to do that. Show me how to number my days, Lord. Help me to be a better 
uh, servant of you today with my time and my talents and all that you've given me. I don't want to squander it. I want to be faithful. Final point, he says be separate. Look at verse 31 there. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you as you did not do it, To one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, for the righteous will inherit eternal life. God's intentions for you and I are that we are to be holy. To be holy. That word literally means to be separate. We're called to be separate. We're called to be unlike the world that we inhabit. You know, to God, it's not like how close can my believers become to the world and become like them, but yet still believers. That's the opposite of what he's telling us to do. He's telling us to be separated, yet to be in the world and not of the world. And I know that's hard, but you have the Spirit of God in you. And Jesus Christ did it. And he's telling you to do it, to be separate. You know what the problem is in the church today is that we are too much like the world. There's too much of the world in the church today, and so the the world looks at the church and goes, what's the difference? Why would I want to be part of that? There there should be something, I I don't want to, I'm going to be careful about using the word mystical, but there should be something mystical about the church when an unbeliever looks at a believer and says, what is up with that person? Why are they so different? Not that you're like an alien, like you don't belong in this planet, some of you are doing a real good job of that, but listen, but that, that you are so different, but yet so approachable, so likable, that the world can't make sense of that. That's what he's talking about. Listen, that's how Jesus was. That's how Jesus was. Jesus was, you know, sinners would approach Jesus. Now, again, in reverence, they understood. They understood that he was a holy man. He was holy to them, and yet he was approachable by them. I wonder how many of us are unapproachable by those around us because we, we have enclosed ourselves in this separation, in this, in this picture, or this, I, I think it's fear, to be honest. We have this, 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 this sort of wall that's gone around us that we are spiritual, and we probably are, but yet we are unapproachable. 
You see what I'm saying? That, that's like counterproductive when you're trying to bring the gospel into the world to dying people. So what I'm saying to you is that you're not called to be like me. You're not called to be like somebody else. You're called to be like Jesus. And, and so you have to figure that out on how to be that way. But I'm telling you that you can be that way because you have the spirit in you. But the reality is today is that many, many Christians are so separate that they're so separate that they're so unapproachable that there's no real work for them to be done. And so they're like, that's why only they share their faith once a year because they got no one to share their faith with because they're unapproachable. What does it mean to be approachable? I think it's just being kind to people. I think it's not preaching at people but just being a friend to someone to listening to them where they are and to, to not be afraid to, to say the truth, but, but, but to be kind about it and to be loving about it. You know what I mean? Like to speak the truth in love. Is that biblical? Yeah. So stuff like that. That's how we're called to live. And if you live like that, God will use you. If you separate yourself, God will use you. If you say, God, I want to be a vessel, use me somehow, he will use you. He wants you to be separate, but he doesn't want you to be so separate that you're unrelatable to the world. This third parable, which I believe is an actual event in the form of a parable here, is a clear illustration of the separation that we ought to have with the world. In ancient Israel, sheep and goats mingled together during the day. Did you know that? They come together. They're able to mingle together during the day, but at nighttime, the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. You know why? Because the sheep have enough fur on them to be separated and that they can, um, they, they can sustain themselves from the stark, cold, dark, you know, but the goats can't. They have to be huddled together. They have, to, they have to use each other's heat in order to be able to survive. And so here's the deal is, although we are the body, we're called to be together and all of that, we have all that we need in the Spirit of God. We are clothed. We are clothed with Christ. We have what we need. And, and, and these, these goats here, they, they, need them, they need each other because the Spirit of God is after them. The hound of heaven has come down. He's after them, and they need to cling together like the world does when righteousness stands up. All of a sudden, you see people all over the world standing up for People don't even know what they're talking about. They just want, they're, just, they're not for God, and so they're automatically for the enemy, and so they stand up for unrighteousness. The Lord is telling us here that one day when he returns upon the Mount of Olives, he's going to split the valley in two. The nations are going to be gathered to all before him. Those who are still alive after the tribulation period will be brought to Jesus, and he will separate the sheep from the goats, those who are believers from those who are not believers. Now, again, most commentators will say that this is talking about the great white throne judgment. I don't think so. I don't think so. You can do your own research. You can look it up, Revelation chapter 20. You can read it. You can compare it to what's being said here and, and make your own assumption to that. I believe it's talking about the judgment of those who will enter the tribulation period or enter into the millennial kingdom. What is deceiving about this is how Jesus would identify the sheep from the goats. He, he says, well, I know you because of what you did. Isn't that interesting? I know you because of your works. I know you because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was 
thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick and in prison, you visited me. I know you because of your deeds. What you can't do is assume that Jesus is saying that I am saved by what I do. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is that the works are a fruit, not the root of salvation. He's saying that the fruit of salvation is evident in the way that a person lives their life. And so if you don't have fruit in your life, if you've never had fruit in your life, probably not in the Spirit. Probably don't have the Spirit of God in you. You know, if you're not... Now, now again, here's the deal. That Jesus could separate his people by the things that they did. And what was unassuming about it is they didn't even know what they were doing. Like they were just doing stuff. That You know, when you're a sheep, you're like your shepherd and you just do what your shepherd does and you don't even... Unawarely, you're doing these things. You're just you know, giving people food to eat because that's what, just what people do. You give them something to drink because that's what people do. That's what Christians do. And it would be interesting to know in these types of situations where we have earthquakes in, down, in, down south and we have floods in Houston and we have hurricanes in Florida, we have all kinds of fires in the northwest, where most of that money comes from. It would be interesting to know where most of that money comes from because a lot of aid comes from God's people. A lot of aid comes from God's people. And, you know, speaking of which, we want to be part of that. And so we're going to be setting up, like I've been doing some research on what the best way to do this is and, you know, collecting blankets and all these different types of things. The best thing to do is to send them money. We're going to partner with Calvary Relief, who is down in Houston right now, to help out with some of that. If you want to be part of that, you can drop uh, some kind of a donation in the, back, in the box in the back, just right on there. Disaster relief, we'll make sure it goes, 100% of it will go to that. But we as a body want to contribute to that because sheep are like their shepherd. And the shepherd provides for people in disasters. Like he, he, he brings the gospel to people. We're going to provide through people that not only will be providing physically, but will bring the spiritual nurturing that's necessary to people who are lost. And so those people will be, they'll bring the gospel to those people. So if you want to be part of that, great. You can do that in the back there. And um, again, this is going to be long term. So whenever the Lord would lead that, put that on your heart to do. But he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The goats act like their shepherd, don't they? Who is their shepherd? The enemy, Satan. He is the one. And they act just like him because Satan serves no one but himself. It's funny how some sheep, act like goats, isn't it? I'm going to heaven, but I sure look like a goat. I don't serve others. I don't do anything for others, but I got the golden ticket. I'm going to heaven. And you know what? I can't refute that because it's not about works, is it? But what I can tell you is that your works are evidence of your salvation. That's why James says, show me your faith and I'll show you my works. He's not saying it's about works, but what he's saying is that through works, you're demonstrating the fact that you're genuinely saved. If God's Spirit is residing in you, if you are clothed in Christ, you'll have a heart like Jesus to some degree. Like you'll, genu- you'll have some genuine care for your fellow mankind. Like you'll care about them enough to maybe share the gospel with them, maybe do something, some kind of a humanitarian thing where you give them something to eat or whatever. Um, you know, but if you're not careful as a Christian, you can harden your heart to the point where you don't serve anybody but yourself. 
And to this day and age, I believe that a lot of the church is in that state. A lot of ministry is in that state where it's all about the four walls of this building and what's happening here, and we're building the kingdom here, and we got a killer worship team, and by the way, get their CD, and I got my new book coming out next week, and all this kind of stuff. I'm not saying any of that is wrong. What I'm saying is we have to be careful that we don't internalize everything and separate ourselves to the point that we're not usable. We have to be careful that we don't become goats and serve only ourselves, which segues me into this place of saying, if you're not serving somewhere here today, you should be. You know, if you're a guest, you can sign up. No, I'm just kidding. But if, if, you're, if you are a part of this body and this is your, this is your, these are your people, you should be serving them somehow. I lead up the cleaning team, so I'm going to plug an, un, you know, shame, shameless plug here for the cleaning team. Cleaning team, where are you? We got an awesome team here. We got some great cleaning people here. Yeah. And you know what? If you're not part of that team, you should be because that's an easy way to serve the Lord. Well, actually, it's an easy way to serve the body, which Jesus just said is then serving him. I got a text from Frank, and I was like this last week, and he, I said, hey, man, thanks for, thanks for cleaning the facilities, man. Thank you for for serving the body that way. And he goes, no problem, not for you, bud. Whoa, praise God, he got it. <laughs> he, he understands. I said, right on. Well, I'm just telling you as a, ves- as a vessel of the Lord, just another, he, he's telling you thanks. How about that? That'll work. So if you're not serving, you should be, you know, really, somewhere. Mike said we need ushers and greeters. We need, you know, we, we need people to greet people. We want to be hospitable and welcoming when people come in the doors. If that's not your gift, don't sign up, please. If you don't like kids, don't sign up in children's ministry. But listen, everybody can clean, so you can come on my team anytime. <laughs> but no, seriously, if you have a gift for kids, man, those are the kind of people that we want back there ministering to our kids. I'd rather not have a children's ministry um, if we don't have people gifted and called by God to be in the children's ministry. Because um, as Mike has said and Gene, that their whole, whole thing is to make that the best 90 minutes of their week, right? To make it the best 90 minutes of their week, to let those kids have a blast, know about Jesus, to learn more about him and to be like him so that they can go share with their friends. That's our goal. So anyway, serve serve because in, in serving us you're serving the lord and you know what it's not if it's if it's a chore for you don't do it if it's a chore for you then you know you're not doing it for the right reasons so don't do it at all jesus said you know people that are lukewarm i don't i'd rather they just make me sick I, i'd like to spit them out of my mouth but if i'd rather you be cold or hot he'd rather you be hot right but he's just saying don't be lukewarm if you're going to serve, do it, do it for the right reasons. We're not trying to coerce you to do something, but, you know, trust me, we're, we're watching. No, we're not, but serve. Serve the Lord. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, as you did, not, as you did to the least of these, you did to me. And then he also told the goats the same thing. Truly, I say to you, you did not do, do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. Everything we do in this life somehow reflects to Jesus. Do you know that? Everything you do always goes uphill to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords, and whatever you do here, you're doing to him. Whoa. Whoa. What a weight. 
Jesus told these, these goats, you know, they, 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 they were like, oh, if we would have known it was you, Jesus, we would have done it. Exactly. That's why it's called faith. Doing things out of not because you're being seen, but just doing them because you're, you want to do them. Faith is, you know, you act not on the seen, but on the unseen. It's based on the heart. And that's what God is after. He's after our heart. And so he's telling you this morning, be separate from the world. Don't be a goat. Be a sheep. Serve the people and then serve me. At the end of the day, the choice is yours where you're going to spend eternity. And you know this. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you know, you're, you've heard this over and over again and you're like, yeah, yeah, let's get to the end. Jesus said three things here. Be wise, be faithful, and be separate. And if you're not doing that this morning, the beautiful thing about God is you can start today. Right now, you can just come before him and say, Lord, I'm not, I haven't been wise. I want to be wise. I want to be ready for your coming. Help me to know how to do that. And he'll show you. Say, Lord, I haven't been faithful with all that you've given me, but I want to be faithful today. Help me to take my talents and use them for your glory. And he'll show you how to do that. If you're saying, man, you know, I do have this kind of wall around me and I'm, I'm, I, I want to be separate but in the right way, Lord, would you help me to do that? He will help you. And most of all, if you're here this morning and you know that you're lacking the Holy Spirit, which is really at the end of the day the ability, that's the, where the ability lies is in the Spirit of God, you just need to ask Him. That's how you're going to be able to do what you need to do. Amen? Ask Him. He'll give it to you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your grace and love for us. And um, Lord, we pray this morning that you would move in our hearts to respond to you in a way that would please you, God. We don't want to come to you religiously. We want to come to you relationally this morning. That's the whole point of everything that we talked about. There are people who look like they were, they were playing the part and they were not of you. Lord, let that not be said of any of us this morning. Lord, I wonder if you were here this morning what the separation would look like of the sheep and the goats. We know that you know, Lord. You know us. And you would call us out by our what? By our works. That is the evidence. Lord, we pray that your spirit would move in the hearts of those that are goats, Lord, that need to be sheep this morning. That salvation would come simple by a sincere confession of faith that would say, Lord, come into my heart, make me a Christian. I'm turning away from this life and I'm turning to you today. I'm asking you to come inside and cleanse me of my sin and forgive me. It's through your blood, Jesus, that this is available to me because you died on the cross and you rose again from the dead for me. And I want to receive you into my life this morning. I want to be a Christian. Lord, for someone else, maybe their prayer is, God, I want to recommit my life to you this morning because I haven't been faithful. I haven't been wise. I haven't been separate. And so this morning, I want to just recommit myself to you, Lord. I'm asking you to cleanse me of my sin, forgive me, and just give me the power. I need your spirit this morning, that you would flood me with your spirit. I know the ability lies within your spirit, and so I want that in my life today. And I know that I have to turn away from my life too, and, re- and that's what repentance is. So I'm turning away from the things that I've been doing. I'm turning to you this morning, God. I recommit my life to you. 
for the rest of us here today, Lord, maybe just a, a baptism of your spirit, God. We would just ask you, as your word tells us, to fill us with your spirit tonight, today, and just flood us, God, with ability from heaven to be vessels of honor and glory for you, Lord, that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified. Lord, we all need something from you today, and you're available, you're, you're here to give it, so let us respond. We thank you, God, we love you, we praise you. Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.